0: Welcome back to the Rob Mater Show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's good to be with you again. Uh, we've had some great shows the last few weeks, uh, and this one's just the same. It's called The War Journal, a warrior story about surviving the most agonizing pain imaginable. Quote, in combat, you can fight. You know your enemy, and you have the training, skills, and equipment to eliminate threats to yourself or your teammates who are your family. Close quote. After we leave military service and move on with our lives, we face an evolving world and situations for which most of us are not trained to fight and survive in. That's the realization that many combat veterans deal with daily, even as we're under the stresses of our past, a condition also known as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. My guest this week is releasing his new book, The War Journal, in a in just a few days, it, it is his combat veteran's story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jim Sisco is the CEO of Enodo Global Incorporated, specializing in surveilling, analyzing, assessing, and messaging about risk in the 21st century world that we inhabit these days. Jim, welcome back to the Rob Mana Show, my friend. If I can get this switch thrown here, you'll be in. Outstanding. Good to see you, brother.
1: You also good to be back.
0: Hey, I'm excited. I was excited to hear about the book. Uh, uh, we've known each other uh, quite a few years now and worked together, and, uh, uh, and I've always known you. You there was a lot more to you under the surface than uh, a lot of people realized, and so uh, I'm very excited to get you on to talk about the book and uh, and its upcoming publication on what uh, March uh, or February 24th. So. Uh, not very long from now, and uh, we will get the stuff out there, promote it, and all of those kinds of things as we do it. Uh, but I got a question for you, man. Uh, why'd you keep a journal in the first place in your deployment?
1: Uh, I have no idea. So, quite honestly, uh, I got a you know you know how you're on deployment. Uh, I got a care package from a, from a friend of mine, and in the care package, you know, typical stuff: beef jerky, foot powder you know, baby wipes. And, uh, and it, there was a journal. It was a, it was a black, uh, book. And, uh, in the, in the, in the note, in the, uh, care package, uh, it said, do me a favor. And can you please write in the journal? So when you come home, I can see the world through your eyes. And I was like, and there was the, the black book and the pen and, uh, I got it right before Christmas. So my first journal entry was on Christmas day. And for me, it was, uh, It was just something I did, you know. It was kind of like a promise to a friend, and uh, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Not a lot of thought put into it. I just would write, you know, when when it was appropriate.
0: So this Christmas was the Christmas before the kickoff of Operation Desert Storm in January of the following year. Yeah,
1: so we we uh, arrived in theater in uh, November. And uh, we had been there for, uh, yeah, so it was the, the Christmas before the kickoff of the war.
0: Yeah, so where were you located when you started writing in the journal?
1: Uh, right, uh, I think we were in Camp 15. There was like a, there was a, a big uh, base where uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a staging area where all the troops are located. Uh, we were still at Camp 15 uh, when I received the care package and started journaling. And shortly after uh, Christmas, we started to uh, move forward, and we established forward operating bases, uh, which we talk about in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. We we didn't maintain one position; we we moved frequently, which uh, which created some uh, challenges. Uh, so put it mildly. <laughs>
0: uh, there were quite a few challenges with that war, uh, as a matter of fact. My my first war was uh, was actually uh, Operation Just Cause in Panama. Uh, the December prior to that, I think, if I, my timeline is still fresh in my head here. Uh, it, uh, uh, and then we all got involved in the, the Desert Shield piece of this starting in August, uh, and we're doing all kinds of things. and uh, uh, But then it seemed that to be like a, everything got in place, and everybody settled down to a routine, and then, bam, Operation Desert Storm under General Schwarzkopf. Did you ever meet Schwarzkopf while you were there?
1: No, uh, yeah, we were always forward deployed. So uh, the times that he came and visited, we were we were out, uh, you know, out forward. So never never really had the uh, opportunity to go back uh, and, and hang out for a prolonged period of times uh, back in the back in the rear with the gear.
0: Yeah, because uh, were you forced recon in the Marines?
1: Uh, I was recon battalion uh, at the okay. time. Is it, it was before they had. Uh, uh, Marsoc, and uh, we had recon battalion, and force recon was just being stood up.
0: Okay, uh, so you were really, really at the the uh, the beyond the front. You guys were doing ISR intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance before the fight started. Uh, so you were really out there, right?
1: So we were off the northwest border of uh, of Kuwait, and we moved, you know, every day or two um uh-huh. and we did a couple of missions inside uh inside uh Kuwait before the ground war started uh, a couple of days before the uh, ground invasion
0: What was that like
1: uh it was uh, a logistic nightmare in a way <laughs> and uh and uh some of the missions kind of uh really weren't suited for uh for recon um mm-hmm. So there was a lot of challenges, and, and you know, I talk about in the, you know, in the book about some of the challenges that we face, and how not you know. And I say this in the opening, you know, we hadn't fought a war in the desert uh, since World War II, and the last right. war that we you know fought in the Marines was uh, in Vietnam, and then the last real engagement we had was Beirut. So we had you know a, a you know, sour taste in our mouth for Beirut. You know, we were uh, not prepared to fight in a desert environment and if you think about reconnaissance and our traditional missions and then you try to put us into a desert environment where it's very fast-paced very fluid dynamic environment you know in humvees you know across large open areas really wasn't suited for you know our our typical mission set so uh it, it was it was very challenging
0: yeah, it was challenging for everybody, man. I remember at the kickoff at Desert Shield, we got a call to take three KC-135As to a, a base in the Northwest to pick up a whole security forces group, which is like the Air Force's infantry. Uh, you know. And uh, those aircraft, the A models, uh, weren't designed really to carry large amounts of troops and their equipment that they needed to get there. <laughs> but, you know... We sent bombers and fighters over to Riyadh and uh, and Jeddah uh, without taking any security with them right off the get go. <laughs> so uh, everybody just uh, sucked it up and said, "Well, we got to get this done." Uh, and uh, I think that's the way the whole whole thing was. Uh, and then when the combat operations kicked off, the planning was was pretty well done, and uh, execution went went pretty uh, uh, went really well for the air from the Air Force's perspective, and. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job of prepping the battlefield for you guys. So, you kept a journal uh, and now we're going to publish it. Uh, why, after 30 years, it's been 30 plus years, uh, sh- should you publish it now if you've kept it private all this time?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, and let me answer, but yeah, just <laughs> truthfully. So, when I got out of uh, the Marine Corps, it was right after Desert Storm. I ca- I came back from Desert Storm. Uh, seven days later, I was out of the Marine Corps. And uh, and I went to college, uh, went through the PLC program. I had intentions of going back in the Marine Corps. And uh, it didn't work out for whatever reasons, and I joined the Navy. I look back now, and, and what happened in Desert Storm, I really wasn't mature enough. I wasn't, uh, you know... Uh, old enough to understand what happened to me and how it really impacted me and I just chose to ignore a lot of the things that happened it was very uh traumatic some of the things that occurred and uh and instead of learning from those I kind of just put them put them in a compartment and threw them you know in the shelf and I did the same thing with the journal You know, it it went into, uh, you know, you you know how when you come back from deployment, you have your your Mm -hmm. military things, you throw them in a a box, you know, and they sit for years and then you unpack them and you look at them, you put them on a bookshelf. And and that's what happened with the War Journal. And the reason that I, uh, you know, actually read the War Journal was – You know, I've shared with a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I'm kind of private. But, you know, I went through a divorce and going through a custody battle with, uh, you know, to see my kids. And uh, as part of that, um, I had to go through a psychological evaluation. I had to take a parenting course. I had to go through anger management training. And as part of the anger management training, um, you know, I talked to a therapist and, He's like, Hey, have you ever journaled? You know, we suggest journaling and our, and, and it was funny. You know, I went back that night and I was going through the bookshelf and I pulled the journal, uh, the war journal, you know, off the bookshelf. And I, I sat down and I just started reading it. I read the entire thing, you know, from cover to cover. And, uh, you know, I got done and, and, uh, you know, I was really, you know, I was overcome by like uh, my emotions and some of the things cause I had forgotten all of that. And I, you know, put it away. And, mm-hmm. uh, so what happened next was a friend of mine, you know, I, I went to a friend of mine and he does all our graphics design work. He transcribed everything word for word and then he put it into a PDF and he put some pictures on it and he made it look really pretty for me. And uh, so I was doing a podcast uh, about my situation and the, uh, the host of the podcast, you know, it came up in the podcast and I sent it to her and she sent it to a publicist and the publicist got back to me, uh, you know, really quickly and said, you have a number one bestseller and you know I, I was just like no okay whatever you know great yeah yeah sure
0: okay <laughs> that's and, that's big words yeah, yeah. And, uh,
1: and 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 uh, you know we started work on it and 6 months later you know we finished the the book a couple weeks ago and uh it'll be out for publication uh next week and and that's kind of the story behind it
0: that's fantastic man you know uh i think that all of the lessons learned about warfare really have not come from historians and those kind of folks. It's from the people on the battlefield that experience that, uh, being able to write about it. So I really admire that. Uh, I've had a long-term goal of writing my own book, but I just haven't been able to do it, you know. Uh, So it takes special talent to be able to realize that it should be done uh, and then have the wherewithal to go ahead and, and get it done. What do you want people to uh what value do you want folks to get out of this book that you're putting out?
1: yeah before I answer that I want to just say one thing I don't want people to think this book is you know the typical war genre book you know there I yeah. was like, killing people and shooting people I mean everyone knows everyone who knows about Desert Storm it was 72 hours you know 96 yeah. hours at the most so it wasn't a lot of combat Well the book really talks about, um, you know, how Desert Storm was different than the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that we're, we're used to now. It really talks about, you know, you, you got to think this is back in the 1990s. There's no cell phones and no Internet. Um, you know, the way wars fought now, you know, I did three tours in Afghanistan. You go out on a patrol and then you come back at night and you sit in your, your, your air-conditioned, uh, you know, two man room and you can get on the internet and, you know, FaceTime your, your girlfriend or wife or significant other, you know, back then, you know, we had a phone center and, you know, it was a line usually like a two mile long and two hours you had to wait. And uh, just to get a (laughs) phone call home. Yeah. (laughs) And there was no uh, green bean coffee shop and uh, you know, massage parlors and, uh, and, and, you know, the 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 modern conveniences of you know wait a minute war.
0: i didn't see any massage parlors when i was deployed in the desert come on really you are you, are you bagram, blowing smoke B-
1: no bagram air force base and then on ISAF <laughs> on icef headquarters uh in kabul there was a there was a 24-hour uh massage parlor and they had like six uh women from krizikistan doing massages all the time so anyway so the book isn't the the typical like uh, war book talking about tactics or talking about operational uh, things. It's really talking about the environment that we lived in, the, the stresses of you know, of, uh, constant moving and going back to what you said from the air force perspective, at the strategic and operational level, everything worked perfect. You know, from my perspective on the ground, it was a clusterfuck at the tactical level. The operational level was you know not that great. But at the strategic level, it was, it was really good. There was a great plan, um, and, and that executed well. But at the operational and tactical levels, it was FUBAR. So when you look at the book, and, you, and, and, you, and from my perspective, I'm talking about all these things, and then specific events that occurred while I was deployed that had a very significant impact on, on my life, my identity, my development, and how those events shaped my future. I made some really bad mistakes in my life, and I can admit to those. And if I had learned from the War Journal and those critical lessons that I had experienced when I was younger and brought those forth in my life, I probably wouldn't have made those mistakes. Not that I regret the things I've done, but it's a learning experience. And I wrote the book because when I read the War Journal, I was like, wow, if I had just taken these lessons and brought those forward in my life i would have you know been in a better position in some ways so yeah uh,
0: uh, jib let me interrupt you for just a second those lessons learned that i was talking about at the beginning of this conversation Mm -hmm. folks are from the human perspective war is a human endeavor it's the most it's the it's the harshest thing that humans participate in uh uh, and uh and it's it's that those lessons learned that i was talking about not necessarily how you move on the battlefield and blah 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 so i'm agreeing with you there uh i want to make sure people understand that and foobar if you haven't seen saving private ryan is effed up beyond all recognition uh and uh, uh anyway uh, so that's that is a great uh uh point jim about if you'd only been able to bring those lessons learned throughout the rest of your life, you know, over the next 30 plus years, uh, maybe you wouldn't have made some of the mistakes you've made uh, beyond your military career. If I understood that correctly, right? Yeah, that's
1: uh, exactly it. And and the other thing is I've spoken with, you know, I'm a very private individual when it comes to uh, certain things and, and really writing the war journal and publishing the war journal forced me to talk to other people and and hear their stories and and when I shared like the intro to the war Journal with them, the you know they connect on a personal level with my experiences and and it, it really is for me the feedback that i 've gotten so far is is awesome because i 'm not here to make a you know to be on Oprah Winfrey show and right. you know, be on the you know New York Times bestseller list. if one person reads the war Journal and it saves them, from you know making similar mistake, or it brings them out of a very dark period of their life, or uh, and they share it. That's my success.
0: Yeah, it's, that's that's uh, the real reason why you know I wanted to particularly to get you on is uh, you and I have worked together on suicide prevention among veterans. We know what the how how uh, how big that issue continues to be. As a matter of fact, every single day. Uh, you know, twenty-two a day uh, was the mantra for a long time. I think the government's saying something like seventeen, but if, when you talk to the average troop on the street, uh, they don't agree with that. They think it's still just as high as it's been since uh, since we first started working together on it several years ago. So uh, th- that's that's what makes this book particularly interesting. And the other thing is uh, that I get from it is, uh, and, I, and I'm not going to give the book away, but but being able to apply those things to civilian life but people that haven't been uh uh in uh in the military or in wars and those kind of things and uh, because you know the country's been through some some traumatic things over the past few years uh, not necessarily like you know shooting type stuff but but the population has been had trauma induced upon them uh, by the actions of even the government uh during the pandemic and everything. So I think this would be a useful uh story uh as you lay it out. You 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 said that you 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 talk about your journal entries, but then you provide the context and uh you know and the human lessons that you get from that. And if somebody's reading this book that's a non military person uh today in our country I think that might be helpful because, you know, we see suic- things like suicide rates amongst the civilian population, I believe, is increasing, especially amongst our young people, isn't it?
1: It is. Um, and, and you bring a good point up. I didn't write this book just for, for uh, veterans or right. active duty military. You know, the life lessons um, are very broad, um, but very powerful. You know, I talk about you know, faith in God and religion. I talk about love. And, uh, you know, one of the things I say is, you know, find a a woman out there that you can love forever and never need another again. I talk about betrayal. I talk about friendship. I talk about uh, education. Uh, You know, I'm a big believer in education. And, you know, one of the things I wrote in the war journal, and you think about this, you have this 20-year-old raw, angry uh, immature Marine who is uh, in special forces. And all I want to do is, you know, fight and kill people. And I'm writing things that when I look back, these were the wisdom and, and you know, in the writing was of a man who had lived an entire life. And, but yet yeah, it was raw and it was, you know, not sophisticated. And, and when I read it, I was like, wow, you know, when I wrote about education, I said, seek education because it can never be taken away from you, you know, and, and things like that. And then when you read it, you know, 30 years later, you're like, wow, that was pretty amazing, you know, and, and coming from a person who, when I grew up, you know, my father, you know, and I don't want to be like played the card. Oh, I was abused or this. And I so many people do that, but he was very abusive uh, verbally, physically mm-hmm. never, never laid a hand. I mean, aside from the typical strap or wooden spoon, you know, growing up as a child, but it yeah. wasn't, physically abusive, but he was very uh, verbally abusive. He used to, you know, he, you know, say, hey, you, you're going to work on the back of a garbage truck. You're never going to amount to anything. You're stupid. And I brought that forward, you know, in, 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 through my entire life. And, and finally, when I was in my graduate course, getting my master's degree, you know, and I, I didn't study. I was, you know, dating and flying around and didn't really care, you know, it was a kind of a weird point in my life. And, and the class valedictorian came up to me and said, Hey Jim, you know, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, you're tenth of a point below me. I study all the time. And what, what, what is going on? I mean, you're always out drinking and having fun and partying. You never study. And it was at that point that I really, I realized, you know, I had been told all these things my entire life. And I, and I finally realized that I, I was fairly intelligent and, and these are kind of like, this is an example of the life lesson. And I talk about education, not like going to school. I mean, if you learn a trade, if you become a plumber or a carpenter, or if you read on your own, you know, just reading books on your own or watching YouTube videos, not, you know, to learn things. You know, that is what I you know value in education. And part of that talks about faith and, and some people are very uncomfortable talking about it and some people wear it on their sleeves. And for me, I'm kind of private, but it also helped me understand, you know, how to establish, you know, my relationship with God and, and and faith because I didn't have, I write in the war journal, one entry and I write, thank you God for listening for once in my life. I thought, I thought you were there. And, um, you know, there's very funny stories in the book. Like we had a, a a chaplain fly out to our forward operating base on a Sunday morning. And it was hilarious. He comes out in his camouflage and he had his, you know, his, his get up and we stack mm-hmm. MRE crates up and we, you know, make a little altar for him. And he's just starts, you know, delivering this powerful speech about our righteous indignation to defeat the enemy and kill our, you know, uh, our enemy. And, you know he he gets done and gives some communion and takes a couple hail marys and bang out on the CH forty six you know and that was that was it
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, d- didn't even offer to pray with you huh that's it there you go <laughs> give you uh, a, a, yeah.
1: a, a, our father and, and and off he went
0: yeah it's uh, you know twenty first century to twentieth century American uh, I call it religiosity. <laughs> uh, you know it's different for everybody, but it, it's interesting that as a 20 year old uh, you were even thinking about faith at all. you know that that entry is uh, is a, is critically important from my perspective. as the 20 year old Jim is facing you know combat for his first time and, and uh, is bringing everything that makes him Jim Cisco uh, to that fight uh, and you actually take the time, to a pray because you mentioned that in the write up uh, in the entry, and then B to document it. Uh, I mean, for somebody that's twenty years old, I don't think I would have been documenting uh, that kind of stuff. Even though you know I've, I grew up in, in church and am a Christian myself, but I just don't know if I would have been thinking that way. Uh, so it's very interesting, and I think I think uh, you know uh, it's very powerful, as you said, uh, for somebody that's a non military person. To be reading about these kinds of things because everybody deals with with uh, faith differently, as you as you mentioned, and everything. But people should be more open to talk about it politely, uh, not in an angry way, uh, and uh, and challenge themselves uh, to dig deeper. Uh, and I think you, di- I think that that displays that you did that, man. The uh, what are some of the other things that you you want to talk about to to tease people on the book uh, a little bit more and why they should get this book and read it.
1: Yeah, you know, and this is like when I thought about coming on the podcast, you know, how much do I, how much leg do I show? You know, I don't want to give away too much, but I want to be able to uh, entice people. And I look at it in two ways. There were some very uh, funny events that occurred and uh, those events, and I'll tell one story in particular And, uh, kind of like why it's entertaining, but throughout the book, there's these, these lessons that you continually are reinforced. And then to the end of the book, I just lay out the, you know, the five, you know, critical life lessons that I think are important. There was a lot of lessons learned there, but you know, I distill them into these five and excuse me, the one that I'll talk about, you know, on the podcast um, and, and the one that I think will resonate with the, with people the most is relationships and, and love. And, and, uh, you know, for me, I was, uh, I, and this might be a little long, but I'll, I'll try and get through it quickly. I grew up in a divorced, uh, family. My father had married three times. My mother was married four times. She was very flamboyant. I grew up, and was raised by my father and his parents, so basically my grandparents raised me so I grew up without a mother figure in my life and I never realized that until later on in life that growing up with a, without a mother in my life had an impact on me I really didn 't know how to express my emotions i didn't know how to interact with women and like in a relationship uh, way and I really looked at women and uh, you know from seeing how my father interacted, very male chauvinistic and, uh, and I formed my opinions and beliefs. So I didn't know how to have established relationships with women in in, in the right way. And I didn't know how to communicate and I didn't know how to express my emotions. So what happened in desert storm was, I was dating a, a woman before I went over to desert storm and, and some of the things that happened in desert storm, uh, made me realize, you know, how my interactions with women and uh, not that they were inappropriate, but how my relationships weren't, weren't right. And I, I, I'll be very matter of fact, you know, I use women for pleasure. You know Um, I used intimacy and sex to satisfy this like void, emotional void that I had. And I could never really connect on a, a, you know, on an emotional level. And it really wasn't And even during my marriage, I never really, had this emotional connection with my wife. And uh, it wasn't until after uh, the divorce and uh, reading the war journal and actually dating a, a woman that I really experienced those things. And I, and I look back now and I can say, in, I have only felt love for a woman twice in my life, right, for, with, with two women, which is a shame because I squandered so many great opportunities with wonderful women and you know and some of them are pissed off at me and some of them really who, the ones who know me like the woman who gave me the the war journal Christy Mitchell we're still friends today and I have other women friends who we have a great relationship and great friendship but that was one of the biggest things is understanding you know and coming to grips with you know my uh, emotions and being able to stress them and being able to talk about them and how they relate vis-a-vis during uh, women.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned in the, in the introduction of the book that you, you, uh, you know, you, uh, you never dealt with issues from your childhood or your time in the military uh, and uh, reviewing the journal and, uh, and going through the process of writing the book that's helped you uh, decompartmentalize, uh, those feelings and, and come to grips with that uh, make you a better man. Is that is that an accurate description?
1: Yeah, and uh, it wasn't easy. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. Um, you know, you come from the special forces community where you don't talk about your feelings or your emotions. You're, you know, I, I describe myself. You know, in my younger years, as, you know hard as woodpecker lips. You know, you uh, used to have. You know, I was 180 pounds of sp- <laughs> of spring steel and sex appeal, totally Kevlar. You know. <laughs> And, you know, that, that gets ingrained into your identity and, and you don't, you know, even when I retired from the military, you know, and I've spoken with so many veterans and so many veterans from, uh, you know, the, the Gulf War time, nobody submitted a, PT, a claim for PTSD.
0: Watch the rest of this interview on Red Voice Media Premium using the link below. Completely uncensored and ad free. Not a member yet? Try it for one dollar.